electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, Tim Seymour, and Pete Najarian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Tonight on Fast, we're all over the after-hours action shares of AMC. The Reddit favorite stock just kicking off its latest earnings call. We are listening in, bringing you all the headlines. Plus, the K-Web China ETF climbs higher, recouping some of its recent losses today. But one notable name sat out this rally. What it says about the sector. And later, a kiss for crypto. Rocker Gene Simmons has been betting on the digital currency craze and is becoming one of the big bulls on Dogecoin. He's here to tell us why he's so positive on the crypto space. But we start off with the great commodity collapse. Crude oil falling to its lowest level since the end of May. Gold at its lows of the session was at prices not seen since April of last year. Silver is now down more than 8% in just the past week. Copper and lumber, you know, also down. So does this commodity sell-off give you cause for concern, or is it a sign that inflation will be transitory, as the Fed says? Dan, what are your thoughts? Well, I think it tells you that they think, or at least investors selling off crude, who firmed up the dollar, who firmed up the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield, are telling you that they think the Fed is going to start to taper soon. And if you go back to 2013, in the December meeting, the Fed started to taper bond purchases from $85 billion a month to $75 trillion. And then each subsequent meeting, they started tapering uh, $10 billion. And so if you just look at those three risk assets that we talked about, that would signal that maybe we get it as soon as Jackson Hole at the end of this month or the next meeting in September, that the Fed might at least really start speaking to it. Now, obviously, I have no idea. But when you look at crude oil, I'll just tell you what happened from December 2013 to December 2014 when that taper was in full effect. Crude oil got cut in half, okay? So just from a technical perspective right now, crude oil right now, it has broken that uptrend that has been in place um, since the lows about a year ago or so. And so technically, it seems a bit in, in a tough spot, especially right now when the world is kind of grappling with this Delta variant and maybe right. we're seeing less demand for crude. Yeah, Karen? That's what I think it is. I think it's Delta variant. I think that, you know, when you have commodities and just a little bit of pullback on demand, Commodities are commodities, obviously, so a little less demand means prices can really move, especially as uh, commodity producers are gearing up, making more. So that's what it seems to me. I'm not sure how to fit together the very strong jobs number. That's not cover for the Fed at all. And yet this commodity action that is and the Delta variant and the number of cases and the number of hospitalizations, that is some cover for the Fed. Sure. So I don't know. I don't know what they do. They're, I mean, it's it's a puzzle. Tim, um, your thoughts before and when I say before, I mean, like a couple three months ago was that perhaps yeah. the markets were starting to price in a taper. And here we are. Um, would you agree with that here in terms of the, the reason behind this commodity drop? Look, I, I, I'm not ready to call an end to oil. By the way, oil staying at 69 a, a barrel on Brent is great news for energy companies. So let's be clear. I mean, I, you know, the dollar's up almost 4% from mid-May, uh, and during that time, crude's up almost 7%. So I, you know, I think oil's traded just fine. I, I, I realize you know, Dan's brought up some important points on the charts. Um, uh, look, I, at some point, 
uh, oil is a supply story as much of a de demand story. And I think the Delta variants are, um, you know, I, I think those are short-term noise. And, and again, I leave aside the social issues and, and all the things that we're all concerned about as human beings. Um, I'm not concerned about the price of oil and more importantly uh, to the energy trade. Uh, look, I, I like the way a lot of the energy companies are actually trading. I, at least, and I like how that we've, we've heard from second quarter earnings from a handful of them that actually show a lot of capital discipline in companies that are run differently. So, I, look, I, I don't think this is the Fed, Mel. I, I think this is uh, a case of a huge run in energy, uh, a lot of uncertainty people have around the oil price, and I think it's going to be stronger than they think. Pete, how are you trading this? Yeah, Mel, I think it's really interesting, and I agree with what Tim was just saying. I actually think if you go back to November of last year, obviously right when we were talking about the elections, that's when we had all kinds of different areas in the market that started to take off, right? You had the financials, you had energy, you had all kinds of different things. And I like the way energy has traded this entire way. Dan could be right. I'm not a great chart guy. I don't ever pretend to be, but I will say this. It makes sense to have pauses. It makes sense to have some pullbacks. And this is uh, an entity, when you look at crude, it is absolutely ripped if you go back to November to where it is right now. So I think this is just a healthy pullback right now. And on top of that, I actually bought some Exxon calls today. There was a huge buyer of, of August calls in Exxon. So I actually increased my exposure into the energy space. I have mostly calls on Mel. I only own really, I've got some KMI, I've got some, C, uh, some Chevron in terms of stock. But when it comes to a lot of the other names, whether it's Exxon or going through a lot of those, uh, the, the various names from the XOP, I, uh, that's where I find myself really in the options and getting mostly some incredible gains, actually, when it starts to move to the upside. And I'm hoping Exxon's the next one. I guess that's a question. Do you, in, do you buy into this dip, which actually, you know, started in terms of the oil patch, you know, in July, right? We had a terrible month for oil stocks in the month of July. And do you buy into that or is there a more sustained rotation going on away from that sector, Dan? Yeah, if you look at the XLE, and these guys just mentioned Exxon and Chevron, I think they make up more than 35% of the weight of that ETF. I mean, they're down, like you guys all just said, considerably. They've actually been basing above um, a certain level, those two names in particular, 55 and Exxon and 100 bucks in Chevron, and they trade pretty decently, and they're up nicely on the year, outperforming the S&P 500. I think Pete kind of nailed it. Once we got the vaccine news in November, they really started to outperform those, um, a lot of these very um, GDP-sensitive um, sorts of groups. So I just say the jury's still out. I'm not telling you that crude's going to get cut in half or anything like that. It doesn't act well. The equities haven't acted well um, for months. And like you just said, they're down to the OIH. The oil services is down, you know, 27, 28 percent um, from its recent highs at three-month lows. So the jury's still out on the variant. And you guys tell me, I don't know how long it's going to be long, and I don't know what else is coming down the pike. And it just seems that there seems to be a bit worries about that. The only thing that doesn't seem to care about the Delta variant is the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. Right. Record highs on Friday. That's right. Just on Friday, Karen. But how do you rethink where you're positioned? I mean, you mentioned industrials, too. Right. So do you start do you having doubts about industrials, given what we're seeing with Delta variant? Not really. I mean, it could be, you know, industrial rebound delayed, but I don't think it will be denied. Mm -hmm. I really don't. And I think once we start seeing some positive, so far, the, the, the Delta or the, the you know, the... Uh, the second derivative is also been positive, but maybe that's peaking just now. And so we'll see. I, I you know, FedEx, which is an industrial that I really like, I'm long a lot, not trading well at all, but uh, it doesn't change my view. Yeah. Tim, the other side to this commodity crush is the stronger dollar, which we saw 
what, four-week highs or something like that against the euro. So um, how do you sort of think about the dollar, the strength in the dollar, and, and maybe even impact on earnings? Well, look, for now, I think the dollar is actually something that has also given people some sense of relief about the inflationary pressures, right? So it, it's taken some of the pressure off the Fed. Um, with commodity prices, you have to be aware. Uh, obviously, commodities priced in dollars for folks that are just kind of following that logic. I mean, the story is, is certainly one that's always been tried and true. Uh, I think you have a case where the dollar is going through a reassessment. It was a very crowded trade uh, to the short side for a long time. There's certainly some sense that the Fed is, is ahead of the ECB. I I think there are structural dynamics that say that the euro actually it's a current account surplus country the euro could actually go uh, a little bit stronger here i think the dollar's range bound i think the call on commodities should not be dollar dependent i think the call on multinationals should not be dollar dependent it is uh, the, the 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 macro around the economy it is the fact that normalized earnings for a lot of these companies at some point we said was going to be a very tough bar that's all we've been talking about um, i think you have a case here where especially with a lot of these industrial companies they've never been run better. They've never been run with more capital discipline, with a desire to bring more free cash flow back to investors. And that's the exciting part of what's happened coming out of COVID. These companies are run better. Let's get more on the drop in oil prices with Paul Sankey, lead analyst at Sankey Research. The last time, um, Paul, you're with us. You you gave us a, a bold pairs trade, sell ARC by XOP. But uh, we want to first get your take on this commodity crush. What is going on specifically in oil? Well, I mean, firstly, just to second what Tim's saying, he's dead right. These are better companies with better managements and better strategies. I, I thought Friday was a big day insofar as obviously we had a big leap in the treasuries. And, and then you saw, for example, the OSX, uh, oil field service names and the oils ripping. And, and I was hoping we'd see follow through today. So I'm frankly a bit disappointed about today. And I think, again, comments that you've made coming in, uh, listening to you guys coming in about the dollar maybe a big part of the problem here that you know maybe the jobs number which looks great for oil because ostensibly the economy's strong you know there's too many jobs and not enough people to fill them that's that's going to be bullish demand uh, and then you know to see the action on friday which was great in that regard i was a bit disappointed we didn't get followed through but you know that's just two days of trading uh, on the COVID stuff you know it's been really disappointing because we still don't have international jet travel and that's, you know, the, the very high consumption in terms of uh, oil demand, jet fuel demand, obviously. So whilst the TSA numbers are back almost to pre-COVID, just about there, obviously the nature of the travel is very domestically oriented. And, and so I still think there's a couple million barrels a day more demand from jet fuel to come back in, which is, is key. And that, you know, it's been a disappointing since I made that call. The demand uh, COVID stuff has been definitely disappointing. Yeah, I mean, just over the weekend, Goldman Sachs lowered its GDP growth forecast for, for China. I believe it's to 8.3 uh, from 8.6 percent for the full year and really dropped it for the third quarter, Paul. When you see data points like that, does it really get you concerned that oil could see um, a much lower level from where it is right now between now and the end of the year? I mean, you may think by the end of the year things sort of normalize a bit more, but is there a rough patch ahead for, for oil and for oil equities? Well, you know, it's so tough because anything in China, China sneezes and oil, oil, oil's in bed with pneumonia, you know, and uh, that, that's been so tough because we just don't really know, do we? It's, it's so difficult to know what's happening at the margin with Chinese demand and everything else and whether COVID, uh, you know, is really as bad as you might read. So it, it's definitely a concern. I, I think that the dollar, uh, the oil has been very strong in light of the dollar actually holding very well here. So that's been quite positive. I was hoping that we'd see more of the original bull argument we had on the oils, which is 
you're going to see an inflationary environment as demand comes back. You're going to have to see higher rates. You're going to see higher inflation, and you're going to see a weaker dollar. And on Friday, we got some of that, but just not, but not the weaker dollar. And I think that's been the problem. I am worried about China, but but at the margin, I I think we're going to get through this COVID stuff. Either live with it or or come to terms with it. In a, you know, not I think we're at maximum fear of a resurgence type thing right here. And I, I don't know. I'm, as you can tell, I'm very hesitant about China. I don't want to second guess what could go wrong with oil in China because it could be it could be negative. Yeah. Hey, hey, Paul, when you go back in history and look at um, oil prices, how have they done in periods of stagflation? That just seems to be a term that we kind of keep hearing more and more. It kind of helped explain maybe this kind of odd situation that we're in as far as the global recovery and how we might have fits and starts. So is there any data that you have about stagflation and how oil uh, acts? Well, I mean, it, it caused it, right? So that, that back when in the 79 oil crisis, the, the Iranian crisis, that was that was really triggered in a lot of ways by oil. The U.S. economy was hugely oil dependent. You were using oil in power generation, uh, never never mind, you know, driving huge station wagons that did 10 miles to gallon. So that was originally the problem. What then happened, of course, is that because of stagflation, but because of high oil prices, oil demand fell enormously. And, and oil was was horrible for 20 years, to be honest with you. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a bit of a concern. But um, generally speaking, I think that if we're in a, an inflationary pumped environment, I, I still think that if the economy is going, oil is going higher because demand will be strong. The issue in the previous stagflation was that we were so, so inefficient in our use of oil that you just transferred away from using it. And so it was very, very negative on the demand side. It wasn't specific to interest rates or inflation as much as just changing behavior because of the over-dependence on oil back then. Um, Paul, I want to get to your, your famous, perhaps infamous, Paris trades, which you lay out on the show. Almost huh. a year ago, almost a year ago, August 25th, uh, 2020, you said to sell Apple by Exxon. At the time, I think we gasped because that was a definitely a contrarian call, but that's worked out. Apple is up 15% or 16% since then. Exxon is up 36%. So you picked the winner in that pair. Um, some of your more recent ones haven't really worked out as well so far. Um, one is sell Tesla by EOG that you made in January. You also said in May to, um, to sell ARC, the ARC Innovation ETF, which is up 11.6%. Sell the XOP, which is down, I mean, buy the XOP, which is down 4%. Do you stick with these trades? Do you, do you ultimately think I mean, the overarching theme to this is oil equities will outperform technology. Yeah. No, I mean, listen, uh, by the way, you know, I, I say I've never been wrong. It's just my timing is sometimes off a little bit. But of it's also a couple, of, a couple of those trades were ahead, as you know, early on. And then this, this shift that we got in rates, it just ran me over. You know, I, I just did not think, and I'm the wrong one. I just did not think that rates would rally from the 31st of March the way that they did. That is to say interest, you know, effectively the T-bill gets stronger and, and rates go down. And that, that ran me over because obviously that's huge for big tech and, and negative for big oil. If we get an inflationary environment, we get, uh, you know, rising rates, that's going to destroy these, these extended valuations for long, long-term multiple, high, high multiple companies like Tesla. I'm really high conviction on long EOG, uh, short Tesla. Tesla's crazy overvalued. Love, love the story. I think it's a fantastic company. Just the valuation is 4x what it should be. So that one right. I'll stick with. On the ARC, yeah, we're still staying short that. That's in the same boat. They're massively long Tesla as it happens. So I still like that one. And then, you know, as I said, I'll add for you today, uh, we're going to go long fang, short fang, 
So we're going to go long diamond back, tick a fang, and we're going to short the mega cap tech. So we, we're going to keep riding this. And, you know, I think the key point that I want to make was made by Tim. These are better companies with better managements, with better cash return strategies. And the, and the really noble thing to say is their equity value is lower than the present value of their future free cash flow. So these are not greater full stops. You're not going to sell it to some further sucker down the line. It's about getting a better return for your equity investment than, than, than you expect because you have higher returns over time. It's very classic Warren Buffett style uh, valuation methodology and I believe in it and I think we're sticking with it however much GameStop goes up. <laughs> we'll check back with you, Paul, on these. Thank you. Good to see you. Paul, thank you. Thank Good you, research. You. Um, Tim, I'll go to you. Long Fang, Short Fang? Long Fang, Diamondback, that is. Well, short Fang, I, the tech stocks. So, so, so Paul, Paul's, Paul's a brave man. He's a wise man. Um, and I'll let him make those pairs trades. Um, what I, but it's understood, and I think you were framing that. The, the, the point was uh, there were a group of equities that were overdone and on the way up, and, and the energy trade was part of, a, I think, just a, a structural change in, in how these companies are run at a time when demand has come back, and you also have the tailwind of companies that were actually starting to deliver. So, um, look, uh, Diamondback is a story where they're going to increase their div by about 13%. They've committed to paying 50% of free cash flow, uh, giving it back to investors. They've stressed that any M&A they do has to be free cash flow accretive. This is unheard of five years ago, 10 years ago in the oil space when it was all about growth at all costs. I think, you know, we've been talking about demand. I think the more important story at some point is going to be the supply side. And I think there's a lot more capacity discipline uh, inside of the oil space and OPEC plus. And even in the U.S., I think there's calls by companies who, you know, Permian is, a, is really where, where they operated at Diamondback to say, hey, I don't think the U.S. needs to increase capacity here. And I think a lot of these guys know that. Coming up, we'll have more on the commodity crush. We take a look at gold in just a few minutes. The metal dropping to a four-month low, and options traders could be betting on more pain ahead. Plus, we've got a pair of earnings alerts on deck. AMC and The Real Real both on the move after reporting. We've got the details next. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a double earnings alert on Reddit favorite AMC and The Real Real, both on the move after the bell. We've got full team coverage. We kick things off with Christina Parsonevelis, who's got the details on AMC. Christina. Wow, could it be a happy Hollywood ending? That's what CEO Adam Aaron said he envisions for the company in the latest earnings release. The original OG meme darling posted a double beat for the second quarter. So losses weren't as bad as expected at 71 cents a share. The company attributes the boost to the 22 million people who went to AMC theaters in the second quarter. Movies like Fast and the Furious, F9 and Godzilla vs. Kong helped encourage people to leave their homes. But the CEO warned, quote, AMC's journey through this pandemic is not finished and we are not yet out of the woods. Ticket sales are still off from the billions they sold about two years ago, but the company took advantage in its share price surge to raise more than $1 billion through equity offerings. And for the first time ever, AMC is opening up its earnings call to retail investors. I doubt they'll get free popcorn. Over 4,000 people sent in their questions. Most popular questions are ones like, will the dividend come back? The company stopped paying it back in uh, February 2020. And then other analysts will also be looking for clues on how AMC plans to raise more equity to offload its mounds of debt. Nonetheless, stock up in after hours trading up almost 1,600 percent year to date. Back to you. All right, Christina, thank you. Christina Partsnevelis. And be sure to tune into Squawk Box tomorrow. Um, actually, Squawk on the Street tomorrow for a first on in first on interview with AMC chairman Adam Aaron. That's 9 a.m. Eastern time. Um, in the meantime, let's trade AMC. We just got a headline crossing from the CFO saying the ticket prices, the average ticket price right now is up 15 percent versus pre-pandemic, which might help offset at least um, the lower attendance that we've seen recently, Karen. Yes, it might. We were just talking in the break about this. So it's good ticket prices are higher, although when you have fewer people through the door, that's less you make at the concession stand, which is super high margin. So that's not great. I mean, I love this guy so much for just doing whatever he could. But I mean, this is still a business that's so incredibly challenged. I mean, I I don't know. And we've seen like box office just starts not terrible, what used to be right. terrible, but is now not terrible, and then drop off dramatically. That's not a great sign. Of course, Delta variant isn't good at either. All those things together with the pile of debt, it's just not for me. Yeah, the retail investor question portion of this call should be absolutely fascinating. I mean, they hold 80% of the shares, according to Adam Aaron himself, in a, in a recent tweet a couple of months ago, um, 4.1 million of them. Yeah, it's funny. You know, that doesn't make the situation bad. It just makes it different than different. what we're used to dealing with, right. you know, if you really think about it. Because, you know, if I look at it from an institutional perspective, it's uninvestable. They were losing money in 2019 before the pandemic when their sales were more than, you know, uh, $5.5 billion. They're expected to be below $2.5 billion this year. And they're obviously going to lose a lot more money this year. So from, from my perspective, I think it makes sense that you have that 80-20 situation. Retail sees something very different in this than institutions who have a whole host of choices to invest in discretionary, consumer discretionary things. So it's just not going to be our thing. Um, or it's right. not going to be my thing, I guess. Right. Is it Pete's thing? I mean, <laughs> from time to time, it's Pete's thing. Is it Pete's thing right now? You know, it hasn't been for a while, Mel, and it's only because it really dropped off from where it was in terms of activity to where it's become almost one of the other stocks out there. I know it's a meme stock still. I still know they've got some volume, but it's nothing like it was at the heyday at the beginning of the year when it was that name and GameStop and several others. But it's still really interesting. Yes, they've raised capital, but they still have an unbelievable amount of debt. They still have a huge short interest, so that is helping a little bit of that move from the memes and so forth to the upside at times, and maybe a little bit here uh, as we're looking at it in the after hours. But I I don't know, Mel. I look at this right now, and I think of all the competition, 
that's out there, and it's it's not just the competition that's their normal competition. It's the streaming competition and all of that. I think it's just a really big, challenging spot right now for AMC, and I'll trade it, but I'm not in it right now. Yeah, other interesting questions from the retail community. Could there be a tie-up with GameStop, which would be the ultimate in meme stock? You know, <laughs> it's like Wonder Twins uniting. Uh, activate form of an ice bridge kind of thing <laughs> or or um, could it actually continue streaming live sports events so those will be things that we'll be listening for up next we do want to hit shares of real real sinking after reporting results Courtney Reagan's got all the details on this one court Hi, Mel. Yeah, disappointment for investors that are bullish on the real real, and I'm not sure how many of them there are right now. The luxury consignment company reporting a wider than expected loss and lower revenue than analysts had forecast. Shares are down about 7% or so after hours as the conference call is ongoing. And it's been a rough 2021 for the real real long investors. It's down 22% year to date. By comparison, the XRT retail ETF is up 47%. CEO Julie Wainwright notes the real real continues on its path to profitability and it did just report a record high gross margin gross merchandise value I should say of 350 million dollars that's up 91% year over year though the take rate or the fees and commissions the real real collects did fall to 34.5% from 36% a year ago. Active buyers increased more than the street expected and the average order value grew nearly 25% over last year and above consensus, while orders grew 54%. That was actually short of estimates. And the Real Reels conference call is underway right now, as I mentioned, and CEO Julie Wainwright mentioning the Delta variant, saying it is, quote, a wild card for the company, but in general, apparel is doing very well. Melissa? Courtney, thank you. Courtney Reagan. Um, I got to go to Karen on this. You fast pitched yes. this. You've defended it. Now and what? I've long it. And um, yeah, so clearly this is disappointing. I think the, uh, the thing that Courtney brought up that I think is the most important thing was the take rate, which was below expectations. And just from the notes that I read, it seemed like it was because the mix. So if someone sells a watch on the real real, the seller will get a higher take. Right. Than if they sell a dress, you know, something less uh, uh, less expensive. So that mix needs to change. We'd like to see more apparel because that mix is better for real real. So I really want to hear that. I also want to hear about expenses. They have been running two distribution centers that will be combining to one. I want to hear if that was part of it um, and and other expenses. So I'm clearly I'm disappointed. I ha the call's going on right now, as Courtney said, so I'm going to listen to it tonight um, when I get home. But it was disappointing because they've been putting out monthly numbers, too. So what we didn't know was this mix. We knew about GMV. Um, and the active members, that's, that's a good thing. And I think these local stores, which has been a big push for them, will be a good thing. Although Delta variant, might, they're all in urban centers, though, primarily. Right, so that's, that's a negative. I guess, although the Delta variant seems to not be as bad in a New York or Chicago. But we'll see. I, I want to hear that. That's going to be important. Yeah. Tim? Well, I think the GMB is a lot more important than the expense side, especially for a growth story. So, I mean, and Karen knows this better than I do. I, you know, so that, that's really where I think the disappointment is, especially when you know, the, the, the comps here should have been in their favor. Uh, by the way, this is a 
18, 19% short interest stock. You know, at some point, <laughs> these are stocks that, that, and this is the kind of a story that's a little culty uh, as well. So a stock that down 31% since the beginning of July going into numbers uh, and, you know, had a period of down 51% for a big rally before this down run. I mean, this has been all over the map. Um, and, and I think at some point you're going to actually see some people say, look, this growth is interesting. This company's been beaten up uh, conceptually. There is competition, but uh, they've carved out a great space for themselves. I just want to add one thing about the short interest, though. There is a convert that struck at 1778 or so. So you're going to see a lot of hedging against that convert. Good point. Um, we are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Stocks still feeling some indigestion. So what's the cure? Tony Dwyer joins us next to lay out what's on his radar. Plus, Chinese Internet stocks seeing a big bounce today. So how should you trade the group? We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. Welcome back to Fast Money. A mixed day on Wall Street as lawmakers look to add more stimulus to the economy. There is speculation the Senate could pass the $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill as early as tomorrow. Now, despite the progress, investors may want to keep the antacid nearby. Our next guest considers the so-called summer of indigestion in full swings. Tony Dwyer is Canaccord Genuity's chief market strategist. Tony, always good to see you. Thanks for having me, Mel. Great to see you. So summer of indigestion, this is all because of rates? It really started in March. I, th I thought the discussion earlier in the show about the energy market was absolutely perfect. Because when you look back in March, and we had downgraded the financials and called for a, um, a pullback in rates because they had just gone up to a historic degree on a 10-week rate of change, to a degree they had never done before. So they had discounted the incredible growth. So the summer of indigestion for me and, and my downgrade of the market in April was really all about the extensive move that you had in the cyclicals, the economic recovery trade. Everyone was familiar with the coming ramp in the growth rate, not just in the economy, but obviously earnings. And that was the time to worry about um, a pullback in some of the economic reopening theme, like the financials, the materials, the energy and the industrials. And that seemed as improbable then, Mel, as it does now to actually look for a relative outperformance going to year end. But I think that's what's going to happen once we get through this choppiness period. Um, so what does no man's land feel like in terms of in terms of sector, relative leadership and relative underperformance? Exactly what it is. I, you know, I, I'd love you guys know me well enough. Mel, we've done this long enough. I'll come on and I'll give you a real firm opinion when I have one. Uh, the summer of indigestion is you don't know what it's going to do day to day. On Friday, you're having a rip in the fine, uh, in the cyclicals because the employment report was above expectation. And today they're under pressure as oil comes down. And, and before the dollar had even moved today, I was I was asking around the trading community to kind of explain why energy and gold and silver were getting so smoked in the pre-opening. And I couldn't find a really conclusive reason. So 
The no man's land is we're intermediate term overbought. We have been all summer. Short term, we're volatile. VIX is going somewhere between 16 and 20, 20-ish. Um, and the sector rotation is unpredictable and dynamic on a week-to-week basis. But Mel, what, what I really want to convey is this is exactly what happened after the first run higher in 2004 and 2010. You went into this summertime where, where rates went down. Nobody thought in the spring of 04 and 10 that rates were going to come down hard. They almost retested the great financial crisis low um, in, in the summer of 2010. Yet going into year end, it was all about the economic recovery theme. And I think that's our playbook. Tony, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. Let me ask you, what is it you're expecting sure. from the Fed? <laughs> OK, so the Fed is in they put them they haven't put themselves in a box. So I don't believe that the Fed is going to raise rates for a very, very, very long time, maybe, you know, years. Uh, I know people are saying 2023. There's just too much debt. They, they're, what they're doing is they're managing um, the yield curve and their, and their two mandates, talking about talking about the balance sheet. They haven't even had to do anything yet. They steepened the curve to almost 200 basis points just by l- talking down the likelihood of tapering. Then as soon as you get talk up of tapering, the market looks at it, okay, the Fed's ahead of the game. And that's what's called the, caused some of the, the drop in yields. What's been interesting, Karen, and it, it goes back again to that energy comment, the inflation break-evens, long-term inflation break-evens, held up a lot better than rates. And that's been true. So if you actually get a little bit of a bump higher in inflation break-evens, I think that while people are fearful of the downside in interest rates, I think we can go back above that one and a half level into year end, really creating an opportunity for the Fed to steepen the yield curve without having to move. So what's the bottom line on this call, Tony? I mean, is it that the markets just go sideways close to record highs for the I mean, is that what indigestion is or do we so, see a pullback? So what, no, what is I this? Have, I have a whole ton of clients like most of us do on a relative basis. I think you've seen the worst in the in the financials, materials, energy and industrials. I think you probably you gave back all of the relative performance, but I haven't upgraded them yet because on an absolute basis, what I think is going to happen is you're still going to have a little bit of a pullback. I don't you know, I don't it's got it's got to come from higher rates, though. Because every time you have this fear of economic slowdown, you have the secular growth names get a bid, and they're the ones that dominate the S&P 500. The S&P 500 equal weighted index, the transportation index, the advanced decline line, all of these, the small cap and mid cap indices, they're all sideways since April. It's the S&P is being elevated by the bid on the mega cap secular growth names. Uh, I think you have to lose that bid to really correct the market. And that's got to come with higher rates, which means value or cyclical should go down less. And you want to attack any weakness you get there, meaning buy them. All right. My producers are going to scream at me, Tony, but we've been doing this for a long time and, and you're usually very direct. And so it doesn't sound like you think rates are going to go higher anytime soon. And so are you basically saying that we're just going to sort of Rates are, yeah, are not think, going to go. Yeah, I think, so I think the playbook is rates bump up above one and a half percent. I think last week at 112, we, we wrote a piece called Not So Unique because both in 2004 and 2010, you had this massive decline in the 10 year note yield going into October of those years. But the bottom in the relative performance for the cyclicals and actually the, in the last four months of the year, your best performance was in the cyclicals, even though rates had still a little bit more downside. Growth. So net net, I think into year end. Uh-huh. I think rates are going higher and cyclicals will, will out. Got it. 
Thank you, Tony. <laughs> Tony Dwyer, Canaccord Genuity. Pete Dungerian, what do you think of this call? It sounds like he's expecting a little bit of a pullback, Mel, but I like his call because of the fact that I think he's right about seeing, at least from the sounds of it, he's, he still likes energy materials, financials in terms of going to the upside. And he's also continues to hit on these rates. And he, he and I were talking not too terribly long ago about the 10-year and where it is at the time. And that was a few weeks ago when it was much lower than it is now. So I think he's on the right path, Mel. I think that we, have, we could see some pullbacks. But if we don't, we have that indigestion cycle. And then we start to move higher based on those three different categories. Yeah, so this feels a lot like last year at the exact same time to me, if you think about it, especially if we're all going to say that the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 seem to be impervious to all the other things that are causing volatility to almost every other risk asset. And I'll just remind you that in September of 2020, the S&P went down about 10% in a straight line. And some of your most favorite names, the sort of names that might be vulnerable if rates go higher. So if Tony is right and the 10-year Treasury yield goes back above one and a half, they got slammed. Apple and Amazon were each down 20% on a down S&P in one month. Okay, and just I'm just saying, in one month. So the biggest peak to trough decline we've had in the S&P all year long was 5.5%, and that happened 190 days ago. So what I'm saying is, is things feel pretty complacent right here. I think there are some warning bells going on in other places, not about a crash, but about a proper correction that might be a great setup for a lot of equity investors into year end. Uh, we've got some more details coming out from the AMC call. Christina Parts-Nevelis has got the latest. Christina. Yeah, the CEO just announced that they will start accepting Bitcoin at all their U.S. locations by year end. They also said that they're looking to add Apple Pay as well as Google Pay for all online purchases. So this has lit up the Twitter sphere right now because that's what a lot of people were hoping for, some type of dialogue about Bitcoin. The company also, the CEO, did say that they uh, are working on the case when it comes to partnering with GameStop, but he just pretty much teased and said more to come. They're looking to increase the number of theaters that they operate, uh, potentially 10 more. They also talked about the fact that they have been uh, very successful with uh, recent concerts and concert movies, I should say, and sporting events. And so they're going to be looking at expanding that. Alternative programming can be a real revenue opportunity, and we're chasing it hard. So a lot of news coming out. And the latest that I'm seeing right now, because I just stepped away from the, the uh, call, was that uh, he just announced a deal with Warner Brothers for a 45-day exclusive theatrical window starting in 2022. But I guess a big news right now is that they plan to accept Bitcoin by year end. Back to you. All right, Christina. Thank you, Christina. Parts Nevelis. Bitcoin. Imagine what would happen to the stock if they said Doge. But I think that's another story. The tease about the GameStop is interesting, too, Karen. Um, the fraction of a Bitcoin for one movie ticket, though, I mean, I can't imagine what the accounting will be I, like I for that. I can't really imagine that either. To me, the 45-day window for Warner movies is actually interesting. Yeah. If that's successful, you wonder if other studios that have been going the other way would rethink that. I don't know. That That's the most interesting. I mean, the Bitcoin thing, I don't, I just, I, I find it, I, I, I don't know. I, I find it so, I mean, you know, this is him talking to his base. Good for yeah. him. He knows who his base is. He does a great job. And they bailed him out. The one thing he does have is a little bit of time now because he does have some cash on the balance sheet. Right. And he can't raise any more at this point. Right. Yeah. Coming up, gold losing some glitter today. We'll tell you how the options pits were betting on this one. Fast Money's back in two. Set your alarms for a new series premiering tonight, 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Super Heist cracks open the case files of Master Thieves. That's right here on CNBC. Coming up on Fast, we're taking another pass at the commodity crush and honing in on gold. We'll break down the details when Fast Money returns. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Gold losing some glitter lately, down nearly 5% in the last week, and options traders could be betting on more pain ahead for the metal. Mike Coe joins us to, now to break down the action. Hey, Mike. Hi there. Yeah, so we were taking a look at GDX. This is the gold miner ETF, which traded two times its average daily put volume today. A lot of that activity was concentrated in the September 24th weekly 28 strike puts. We saw over 3,000 of those purchased as a part of that volume. They were buying those for about 20 cents. Buyers of those puts are obviously betting the GDX could drop below that $28 strike price by the 20 cents that they paid. That would be a pretty significant decline from just under 32 and a half where it traded today. All right. Thank you, Mike. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, rock legend Gene Simmons. Yeah, Gene Simmons. He'll join us next to break down the latest moves in the crypto world. You don't want to miss this one. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast. A Bitcoin rebounding the last half hour after AMC CEO Adam Aaron said the theater chain will start accepting the crypto at its theaters by the end of the year. Your next guest has been all in on this crypto craze. Kiss frontman and rock legend Gene Simmons joins us now. Gene, great to have you with us. Nice to see you all. Hope you're keeping safe out there. Hope you are, too. How long have you been on this trade, the crypto trade? Well, I was very lucky because... uh, Tyler Winklevoss was kind enough to take my call back at the beginning of the pandemic. And it was just sort of a a quick educational sort of, uh, you know, those notes that we used to have in school that gave us a shortcut. And I went in big. I put in a few million into Bitcoin when it was around 10,000. I loved the ride up to 64,000 or so. And I'm what's called a hodler, H-O-D-L-E-R. For those great unwashed masses who may not be educated, you have an inferred fiduciary duty to yourself. See, I'm using grown-up language to find out. And in your hand is the answer to all your questions, your handheld device. What is hodl, H-O-D-L? Find out. It's It's culturally... It's a cultural language that's uh, created by the cryptocurrency kids, and it's a misspelling of the word hold. Yes. I'm a holder. So I'm, I, I'm a holder, I believe, in the long run. And now that crypto, especially Bitcoin, more and more is becoming accepted, Elon knows you can buy a Tesla ad infinitum ad nauseum. Uh, if, uh, ask my opinion, then I'll be covered legally. Ask what's going to happen to Bitcoin, and then I'll give you my opinion. What is going to happen to Bitcoin? Gene, please give us your opinion. <laughs> My opinion, uneducated as I am and protected by the uh, ad infinitums of the world, uh, by the beginning of next year, we'll be at 55000 to 60000 So I'm all in. I'm putting more in. When there was a big dip and it went down to, I don't know, under 30 or something, I put in more. I believe so- in Ethereum. I went in at about, uh, I don't know. 900. Now it's at 3,000 something. I have about 14 of them. Look, I believe in uh, crypto because uh, I just want to cut to the chase. You were talking about gold a second ago. Look, if I had a bar of gold and I wanted to sell it for you and I want cash, the government's not going to know about it, unfortunately. See, whereas all you people who are duly elected in the government, you need to educate yourself. And we like both sides of the aisle. You're both wonderful people. But find out. It's easier to get a gun 
than to fight legislators about trying to tie our hands in crypto. See, every single trade and every single purchase, any movement of any kind has a digital fingerprint, see? So you'll be able to right. tax everybody and make money. Whereas if somebody out there sells a bar of gold and takes cash, you're left out in the cold. We've got like a minute, literally, um, left to this interview, Gene. So, but I, what I do want to ask you is, so pre, pre, just at the beginning of the pandemic, you get on this trade, you make massive amounts of money in a very short amount of time by by making one call to Tyler Winklevoss, you returned your call, lucky, bam, you're, you're in, now, now you made millions. Are you well, attracted to some of the other sort of FOMO trades out there that are pervasive on the internet, like these so-called Reddit stocks, for instance? Does this sort of get you in that in that loop? Does it pull you in? Well, I do think it's everybody's responsibility to do their own research, and I'm not going to sit on my high chair and tell everybody that you can use cryptocurrency to purchase my art. That's right. The Gene Simmons art uh, is going to be at the Ven Venetian Hotel October 14, 15, and 16 for the first time. And some of the larger pieces go for $250,000. Now, of course, you can use cryptocurrency, American I'll take bars of gold, anything that works. But in terms of the uh, other areas, when we were off camera, I suggested right. to speak to Kat Kathy Wood, who would okay. be much more eloquent and uh, you really should give me much more time. I'm fascinated. You know, the, the, the next time, Gene, we'll, we'll, try and, we'll try and do that, all right? But it was great you're, talking you're sure to you, getting your take. We appreciate See it. See you later. The rock legend, Gene Simmons, on this. Pete, I don't know. How do you follow that? <laughs> uh, uh, I, I don't know. I, 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 <laughs> that was fantastic. I loved it. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he has artwork. He's a piece of work. Up next, your final trades. There is artwork. Time for the final trade. Tim Seymour. Mel, guess what was the first concert I ever went to? Kiss. <laughs> Kiss. Love Gun Tour. Love Gun Tour 1977. Bank of America. I'm shouting that out loud. Heat. International Gaming Technology, IGT. I think it's going higher, Mel. Karen. Yes. Anthem was down last week on Cigna's bad numbers. Their MLR, medical loss ratio, was high. I like Anthem here. I think it's fun. Dan. Yeah, we were talking about Delta weighing on some of these transports. I think JetBlue, not Delta, down from 20 near 15. It's probably a good do into the fall. All right. Thank you for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.